What's going on, guys? It's Kurt from Fieldcraft Survival. So uh, I am doing a solo podcast for Fieldcraft Survival today and uh, just wrapped up a great uh, modern survival seminar in Texas uh, near Austin. And, you know, we had a good amount of people show up for that and got to talk through some pretty interesting topics as far as active shooter, um, you know, everyday carry, everyday mobility, tourniquets, um, mindset, you know, basically everything that Fieldcraft Survival preaches and talks about. Uh, these modern survival seminars are fantastic ways to interact with folks that follow us and are interested in about what we're doing. And the cool thing is, is, uh, you know, we walk away uh, knowing that people are better prepared um, and, and uh, you know, have a, a glimpse, I think, or a look inside of the mindset of what guys that served in special operations, you know, um, you know, Mike and I, from our perspective and how to better train yourself, your family, the mindset required to be able to understand all of that and then tie it into your training and, and how important it is. So super grateful uh, of being able to work here in the great state of Texas. Um, I'm excited today because we have a special guest on the podcast. Uh, her name is Elizabeth Rains, and she is a mental health counselor with a focus in trauma and attachment. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, nice <laughs> Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm excited about this. Um, I just want to kind of do a little lead in. And uh, so during this survival seminar, I talk about a relatively... I don't know if you would describe it as traumatic, but you probably would say that it was a traumatic experience. And I actually talk about stress and I talk about how it affects you uh, in a sense of decision-making uh, capability when you're put into a situation, uh, one that's you know a life-threatening situation. And so mine in particular was, an, was a, uh, a direct hit by an improvised explosive device in Iraq. Uh, early on in my career and you know I, I kind of talk through and pick through that uh, that situation that happened to me uh, you know almost 15 years ago and I still you know I was describing how I remember it like it was yesterday and so it was interesting uh, I got a chance to talk to Elizabeth on one of our breaks um, and she had mentioned some different um, some different therapies and things like that that uh, she's worked with recently with uh, with folks who have experienced traumatic events. And so um, I'm I'm excited to talk to her about a bunch of this stuff because there is somewhat of a stigma, I think, with veterans and combat veterans and people who you know have post traumatic stress disorder and different things going on. Um, you know, and there's a stigma that follows them that somehow they're defective or, you know, that they can't be productive members of society. And I think that's not true. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a realistic way to approach all of this is that you cannot send your sons and daughters uh, to do fighting on your behalf and then have an expectation that they would come home and be the same people. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way for first responders. It doesn't work that way for soldiers. Um, when you see some pretty graphic, horrific stuff and when you experience things that most humans don't experience, uh, it has a profound effect on you. And some people, you know, for a lot of different reasons, and we'll get into a lot of that with Elizabeth, um, you know, it affects people more than others. Um, you know, I feel like at this point in my life, um, based off of the things that I've seen in combat and been involved in, you know, that I'm doing fairly well. I'm a pretty productive member of society. I think I have a pretty grounded approach to how I view things, and that's been 
uh, hugely attributable to uh, the guys that I've kept around me in my life as far as positive mentors. One of those guys is a guy named Tom Spooner. Uh, Tom Spooner is an ex-Delta Force operator, and he started a nonprofit called Warrior's Heart where they actually help take care of veterans in need. They address substance abuse. Uh, it's first responders and veterans. It's, uh, they're located, uh, I think, just west excuse me, just east of Austin um, by several hours. And they've got a 150 acre ranch and they help uh, address substance abuse and mental health issues with veterans and first responders. And so Tom, um, if you've ever heard his personal story, was a 20 plus year veteran, um, you know, 14 combat rotations in Delta Force, uh, was a special forces guy before that, just a, a super uh, interesting guy, a super, positive, motivating guy in the sense of taking care of yourself um, and that nobody escapes the job without some type of uh, effect. And he actually describes it in a very interesting way if you've ever heard him talk. And he almost wears it like a badge of honor in the sense of like he went and did the deed and you know, you can't come home and not be affected by that. And, and it's an understanding and an acceptance of that and I think it's uh, it, it's really interesting to hear his opinion or his you know his expertise with that because he's experienced it as well, and how he's dealt with it, and and how he literally turned uh, potentially ending his own life into success, which was starting a nonprofit, doing all this stuff, uh, where he is an open advocate for not only the veteran community but the first responder community. So, uh, if you don't follow Warrior's Heart and you don't know who Tom Spooner is, you need to, because he's a great American and he's continuing to serve uh, out of uniform, which I think is uh, pretty awesome. Mike and I uh, you know, will follow in his footsteps as far as being positive members of the, uh, you know, the retired soft community um, and doing everything that we can do to help affect bringing positive change to our brothers and sisters. Uh, so on the other side of that coin, when they leave the military, uh, that, you know, there's the best possible help and apparatus for help uh, that we could possibly imagine. So uh, one, want to welcome Elizabeth here. I just talked for like six minutes straight, so I feel extremely rude. <laughs> um, but anyways, Elizabeth, tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and what, you know, what you're involved with now um, and, and your background and what you did in the past. Yeah, so let me credential myself. Um, I have a master's degree in mental health counseling. I have a, um, I'm a licensed professional counseling intern and I originally worked on Fort Hood, the Family Life Chaplain Training Center, and that was really where I started to understand trauma. Okay. So let's back up a step first and just kind of just define what that is. Um, because a lot of times when I talk about trauma, uh, no one really likes to hear that word or, you know, we didn't, we don't really have trauma. It's not a big I deal. I think about it and I get a little bit uncomfortable because I'm like trauma, you know, I'm this, yeah. I'm a retired green beret. I didn't have any trauma. Like I had some difficult situations, but, mm -hmm. but I think maybe that's one of the, an important step of actually realizing is addressing, you know, what some of the things are. So, you know, real quick, Sometimes I get weirded out by the whole victim mentality yeah. because um, because I feel like it enables uh, a sense of entitlement that I don't want. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely don't try to work an angle that way. And it's very weird to me to describe myself 
as such and so I don't and I'm, I'm sure there's some type of a healthy thing that has to do, to do with and how I process information but uh, anyways, yeah, super interesting stuff. So trauma. Yes. So we have like the, the big traumas that we all think about, like the, the physical trauma, like you get hit over a, over the head or you're in a car accident or right. combat rape, things like that. But then there's also more chronic trauma, stuff that we don't necessarily consider being bullied or hearing your parents yelling as a little kid, like those things are still upsetting. Sure. And so we can still classify those things as trauma. Okay. Um, because each of those things will impact us differently. Got um, it. You mentioned the ambush. Right. You weren't the only one in that situation, but each of you is going to have a different perspective and it will impact each of you differently. Right. Either in the moment, down the road. And so... Whatever the situation is, I know a lot of times we'll make fun of the guys who it seems like they spent the whole deployment playing Call of Duty and, you know, never went outside the wire. And then they come home and they say, well, I have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Or when they were there, you know, they're, they're worried about PTSD and, and all this trauma. Well, we don't necessarily know their backstories. So if they came into that setting with a ton of trauma to begin with, right. they are not going to have the coping skills that other people are. And so it's going to impact them more detrimentally uh, than it would someone This else. makes sense to me because I, I, I don't know if I was listening to another podcast or if I was listening uh, to somebody in your career field talking about, you know, that, that's an expert in mental health and they're actually talking about uh, is it uh, predisposure? Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, may have come, you know, had a background where there was child abuse or something like that going on, didn't develop coping skills to work through trauma, and then they're exposed to a whole nother set of trauma that, you know, basically just uh, not enhances, but it amplifies uh, past traumas. Yes, a lot of times that stuff builds up and we aren't even aware of it sometimes we repress it especially if we're really young um, or if it was really bad we just don't even want to think about it and so the body is amazing in that it allows us to do that but then a lot of times there will come a point where the brain says hey no we really need to work on this mm. and a lot of times it happens at inopportune moments yeah well that's uh you know i i was describing a little bit of um you know during the seminar about my career ending and then revisiting all the things that I had done. And I think there was like, there's good parts of that and there were bad parts of that. Not bad uh, as in the experience, but it was the, the things I think that I didn't realize affected me uh, in talking about all that stuff. So it was super kind of interesting to me, which is weird because I feel like sometimes I, I step out and I like am analyzing everything I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Because I'm probably really hard and critical of myself, especially when I step in front of people and teach. Um, but but you know, I I was telling the class, and you know this because you were sitting there listening to me. But um, you know, I'm I'm revisiting all these things in my career, the IED, you know, and then ambushes and firefights and all this different stuff, and you know, thinking through a lot of those things. And we, Mike and I, do that a lot. Uh, to try to teach people from you know stressful positions and and what that looks like and how we mitigated stress and how we tried to work through problem sets to give people tangible takeaways uh, to apply that to their own lives. Because, you know, the way I look at it is some people argue, you know, well, you're not going to know what you're going to do until you actually experience it. But my thing was sharing with people is giving them the opportunity to hear what the reactions were, what the mistakes that we made, a lot of mistakes, 
Um, and then how we fixed it and how we moved forward. And then when we were in a, another life-threatening situation, what we did. And so uh, sharing that stuff with people, you know, is trying to reduce the learning curve that when they're put into a survival situation with either a natural or man-made disaster, is it's a tangible takeaway. You know, you can literally listen to an instructor who's been in a situation like that. And then they go, hey, I remember this, this, and this. So super interesting. But um, but yeah, jumping through uh, all the different things that I saw in my career. And so um, you've, you had the opportunity to work with veterans at, at a certain point or, or be able to work with veterans or, or active duty in their families, right? Yes. So what were you doing when you were doing that? So at the time, I was still a graduate student and I was volunteering uh, to get my hours. Okay. And so that was when I started doing a lot of of that trauma work. I right. got trained in a form of therapy called EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Okay. And it, that's starting to become And a, that's EMDR. Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, that's starting to become a, a bigger thing with the military. Um, Fort Hood is, is a big proponent of it um, because it isn't us sitting down and me saying, tell me how you felt about right. that. It's, it's not based off of feelings or anything like that. It's how the brain stored that memory because that tends to be what makes it a uh, trauma right so if you're going for a walk in your neighborhood neighborhood a dog comes out and bites you naturally you're probably going to be a little leery the next time you walk past that house or you hear that dog snarling on the other side of the fence yeah it's like a survival kind of exactly. response right mm -hmm. you're like danger and yes. yeah, it produces maybe some hesitation or something like that. Yes, and so that's important. That's that's a good skill to have. Right. Sometimes it interferes with life, and then that's when we say, okay, well, maybe I need to get some help with this or figure something out. And so when we have those triggers or just those things that can really upset us, EMDR works to figure out, okay, what what was that that initial issue, that thing that set you off, and what is the negative belief that you have about yourself wow. in relation to it. Yeah. So a lot of times we'll fo focus on someone else. Um, they, they weren't there, it's that other person's fault, but a lot of times those negative events have some kind of negative belief about ourselves attached to it. I'm not safe. I I failed. Uh, I'm not in control. Yeah. Um, I'm unlovable. All those things. Right. And so if we can unlink those two things and look at that memory as a memory, then we can install a positive cognition. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about that is that I cannot tell you or anyone else what positive cognition the brain needs to hear. Yeah. Um, that is based strictly off of the other person. Okay. And so maybe it's, I'm safe now, or I did the best I could. Yeah. And so we work on installing those things together, and then that desensitizes the brain to the memory. So it, it literally becomes a memory. It's not that thing that keeps rearing its ugly head. Right. It's that we're able to work through it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how you're talking about, uh, you know, basically replacing the negative with the positive. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited because, uh, <laughs> you know, I talked a lot about that actually during the seminar as well. And kind of, um, you know, I've done a podcast on negativity and I, I couldn't even, I think it's so detrimental to, to the way I live my life now and, and how in teaching people and doing all this stuff that I couldn't help but to circle back around to being positive and like what that looks like because being in that negative space is just such a crappy place to be. 
And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not surprising to me, but it is interesting to hear that, you know, that the trauma and the way that the brain stores the trauma, you know, is associated with a, a negative thing that we self-produce. Um, and the, you know, the cool thing is, is about, uh, you know, changing it, like you're talking about into a memory is to add or, you know, get something positive in there that changes the belief uh, which then in turn helps with the trauma. Yes. So I think I described that you right. You did. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times it's easy for us to just go with the negative because that often just tends to be the way our society works, the way we work yeah. as individuals. And after a while, you, you mentioned neural pathways earlier too during the seminar. Right. Um, after a while, we just we strengthen those neural pathways to the point where it's just an automatic thought. Right. And it takes a lot of work to create new neural pathways. Totally possible, but it takes a lot of work. Like a lot of work, how? Like is it, uh, like for example, you know, I talked about, I, I jokingly, you know, give an example that actually um, I heard from a, another group of buddies of mine, uh, a group of guys called Northern Red, you know, who run a, another training company. And, you know, they used to joke with people on the range all the time about positivity and negativity. And they had this saying that was like, hey, go look in the mirror for 30 days, you know, and I use that analogy and tell yourself you're ugly, fat, stupid, and it's all this negative garbage that we put on ourselves and then come back to me in 30 days and let me know how your life is going. So um, just an example of, but, but you were getting ready to talk about, you know, uh, what the positivity of that is. Um, and trying to affect things so yeah so the way I look at it it's kind of like taking a it's not even a new path you're making a path through the woods and you got to cut through all the underbrush it takes a lot of work now right. you do that several times and eventually you've got a trail and you're good to go that, I like the analogy of the underbrush yeah. cutting the trail yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah. right so, so you're creating a new path yes and so after a while it gets to a point where it's easier for the brain to to think of that positive or to think of whatever that difference is that you want to make it into so so basically what you're saying is is like through repetitiveness with positivity even if you're an incredibly negative person but if you just would you know put the discipline and effort in to kind of changing the thought process of positivity that eventually what you're creating is a neural pathway that makes it easier for you to be positive Absolutely. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. Yes, the brain yeah. is incredibly powerful. Um, there's this term neuroplasticity. It just refers to the fact that our brains are changing. We have the power to change them. Um, just because we grew up in a certain environment or we experienced certain things or this is just you know who we are now, that's not necessarily always the case. It doesn't have to be if we right. don't want it to be. Oh, that's a... I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. I know that's probably... That can be a sensitive subject in different yes. circles. Um, because people, I think, you know, again, you go back to a sense of entitlement and all these different things that people kind of align themselves with and they go, well, you know, I was, I didn't have this opportunity or I was set up an X, but you know, what you're describing based off your background in education is no, it's the exact opposite. If you can literally think a certain way that you're creating the neural pathways to, you know, create a positive outcome, which I think is hugely important. And it's, uh, great for our listeners to understand that, hey, if you're in a bad place, um, like Elizabeth is talking about, start the positive neural pathway, cut that trail, get through that path, um, and then it will be so, which is yeah. cool. Yeah, so it's important to acknowledge whatever whatever the past is, whatever that negative stuff is. Okay. Be aware of it. Got it. Sit in it for a while. Got it. But don't stay there. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to, you can. Yeah. Um, that's I, that just doesn't choice. sound fun. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. So when you're ready, when you've honored it long enough and you're ready to get up and make a change, then do that. Yeah. It's important to always know where we've come from and the stuff we've experienced. We can use that to help other people. Mm-hmm. But I think you talked about the victim mindset. That's a lot of times where that comes from. We just stay sitting right. in this feeling and we're not always aware of maybe why we're feeling it or why we keep telling ourselves the same story or how to get out of it. Yeah. And so sometimes we need that helping hand mm-hmm. and someone to, to help us with that self-awareness piece so that we can move forward and integrate that into a healthier part of who we are. No, it's a, you know, it's all great stuff you're talking about. I kind of, you know, the intent for this podcast is to hopefully reach a listener that is experiencing something that, like that, whether you're a veteran, first responder or a civilian, um, because we know, you know, based off of a lot of different definitions of trauma and all these things, right? And you described them earlier with examples, rape, you know, served in combat, like all these things that are trauma producing events um, that, that affects people differently. And we reach a pretty large demographic, I feel like with our podcast. And so, you know, just in case I didn't describe it uh, as well as I should have in the beginning, you know, having Elizabeth on here in the background that she has and talking about the power of positivity, negativity, post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma, you know, victim, uh, victimhood or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's interesting to know that, you know, having somebody hold us, kind of having a buddy hold you accountable or something to that effect can also be a catalyst for change, right? Which is like the, the seminar that I just did, you know, I try to walk away and cover a lot of, there are a lot of really deep talk topics mm-hmm. and it's hard to get all those topics covered, you know, in depth, uh, with several hours. Um, but, but the idea is that people leave and it spurs thought, right? The same thing we're doing on the podcast right now is that you listen to this and if you find yourself in a bad spot, you know, like Elizabeth is, is basically talking about there's a way out. So yeah, a positive way out. Absolutely. The way I look at my job and the way I explain this to a lot of my clients, it's like you're in a trench and you've got maybe everyone else, if you feel the world's against you or your significant other, whomever, in the other trench. And there's this huge, vast expanse of no man's land. And you're getting shot at. And if you if you try to advance, maybe, maybe try to be vulnerable a little bit, you might get hit and you want to duck back down into your trench. And so we just get really comfortable where we are and we don't bother really trying to understand the other person's perspective okay and so my job is to go into the middle of that no man's land cross over to someone's trench and then sit with them there for a while until either they feel safe enough or strong and empowered enough and we walk across together and we figure out okay what's going on and how can we make a change yeah. And so I, I see that as, as my job and also just who I am as an individual, but that can also be all of our jobs, really. When it comes to relationships and other people, it's so easy for us to just sit in our own experiences mm-hmm. and never really acknowledge what might be going on with on, someone yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. I we feel like I should be sitting here with my wife right now <laughs> while you're talking about this. <laughs> I feel like, like we could be, you know, getting some great advice yeah. on communication skills about, you know, listening to each other and then understanding what's going on. Like you're describing in the, in the trenches, right. On, on the other yes. side, like just walk with me a second to the other trench and understand what's going on. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, I'm glad. <laughs> glad I could help. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, um, I think it's Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, and one of those is seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm. If we can figure out where other people are coming from first, it makes it a lot smoother when it comes to us sharing our own perspective, why things affect us the way that they do, or um, what we need to do in order to make things better, make things more positive. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's all super interesting. I, you know, the funny thing is, is uh, I, I, I need to put more time and effort into really understanding how a lot of that works. And then having you sit here, I mean, I had my own kind of suspicions, if you will, about how I process and information just for me personally, um, and how I deal with, uh, you know, the things that I've been exposed to. Um, but I think some of the big ones for me, the takeaways for me is I, and Mike and I talk about this a lot, but I refuse to be a victim. Um, I chose to serve my country. Um, and, uh, you know, hey, I understand that people may have a different position and they may be, be, have been exposed to something differently. But I was very cognizant of the fact that I chose to serve my country. Um, but I also am a realist in the sense that, uh, you know, I talked about it before. You can't go over and serve your country in dangerous environments and be in combat uh, and doing all that kind of stuff and not have it affect you. But, you know, I, again, I think that uh, staying in like a victim kind of mentality, um, like you described before, it just keeps you stagnant. So, mm-hmm. um, which is hugely detrimental. And I feel like, you know, addressing suicide and a lot of the different things that happen in the veteran community and the first responder community and, and, and in general, um, a lot of it comes back to, you know, us kind of getting stuck in a rut. Yes. And a lot of times I think it comes down to also um, when it's civilians, um, we maybe know that there's evil in the world. We don't really want to acknowledge that. Right. We live it's in a scary, very, right? Yes. We live in a safe, privileged, wonderful country and stuff happens elsewhere or right. even with more recent events. Um, it happens at that other school or in that other state. Right. And we don't like to think that it can happen to us. And so on the one hand, there's our own biases. Um, but then if we think about the veteran military law enforcement communities, a lot of times it's this um, thought process where we've experienced something so outside of the realm of common human experience that we don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Or if we do begin, then all this other stuff's gonna come out, where do we stop or how do we share it? Right. And so I think first of all, we all need to acknowledge that there's evil and it doesn't discriminate. Right. Um, in the MASH series, I think Hawkeye at one point, he's talking to the uh, chaplain and he says something about you know who, um, who dies or who goes to hell. He asks who goes to hell and um, the chaplain says, well, sinners mostly. Mm-hmm. And so you, you kind of have the idea of who's going there. Right. But then um, he talks about, well, who dies in war? And it's, it's not just combatants. It's women, it's children, it's the elderly, it's people who are innocent. Sure. And so when it comes to, to that sort of setting, everyone's fair game. And right. that is something that we don't want to acknowledge because then that means that I can, I can be a victim of a kidnapping or a robbery or, robbery or anything else. Right. And then suddenly that means, well, either I have to prepare myself for that possibility right. and uh, maybe be more aware of my surroundings, um, which is going to take a little bit more effort and maybe I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or I can continue to just kind of be blissfully 
unaware, yeah. but maybe accidentally put up this wall then between me and law enforcement or veterans who would like to share their story, but I really just don't want to hear it because I don't want to, I don't want to hear that mess. Right. No, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it that way, but you know, I'm, as you were talking, you know, I'm kind of thinking about examples of what I just talked about in the survival seminar you know, we've hit it before and Mike's talked about it on other podcasts, but we talk about the author John Leach um, and the, uh, you know, survival psychology book and the, the, the theory of 108010. And, you know, I talk through with all of our students about what that looks like. And it's interesting to me to hear you describe, you know, because you're giving a different perspective, right? As a civilian, you are the spouse of a retired uh, military guy, which is cool. So we're super appreciative of that. Um, but but you do have a civilian perspective, right? And um, in that perspective is interesting to hear in the sense of, you're right, people don't want to acknowledge that bad things can happen. Yeah. So that's what, you know, excites me when we do these survival seminars, people show up and they want to hear, you know, that's why we do the podcast, everything else. It's, you know, Mike and I teach from reality. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, through our careers in the military, saw across the world that there are a lot of crazy things that happen bad guys, you know, uh, accidents, all, all kinds of traumatic things over almost 20 years of peace in the military. And so we're realists. So, you know, I always tell people when we teach, I'm not teaching you because I want to teach you out of fear, right? I want to teach you from a practical, uh, response with all of this stuff that, you know, like you said, there are bad people. Uh, they'll always be here. Um, they'll have guns, they'll have trucks, they'll have bombs, they'll have whatever, and they're going to hurt other human beings. So back to the John Leach thing, there's, he talks about 80% of the population and really all they need is additional training to Mm -hmm. up their chances of survivability in a man-made, um, in a man-made or a natural disaster. And so it's interesting to, you know, obviously we're talking about a lot of things, right? It's kind of circling a back around to somewhat, you know, some of the stuff in the seminar and, you know, different Uh, life lessons that Mike and I have learned, but it's interesting to get your take on it and kind of, you know, pull it apart and look at it because uh, not only is it, you know, there's stuff about being a victim, there's stuff about post-traumatic stress disorder, there's all kinds of crazy things going on. And I feel like, you know, I told people in the class, like you have to be willing to ask yourself some of these questions and what you're actually willing to do to mitigate the risk to you and your family. And I think a lot of times we're not realistic about what we're willing to do and what we're not willing to do. And so that's why I, you know, you know, I articulated a lot of that stuff that way was to get to drive people to think that way to, to, to see what, what they're willing to do and what they're not. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. I was thinking back to the um, TCC class. Um, that you had done in Burnett that I That's right, yeah. went to. I forgot you, and yeah, you went to the two-day TCCC class mm-hmm. that we certed everybody for TCCC with Devil Dog Consulting with Kevin. He was the primary instructor. Yes, and I remember um, when we went through just that active shooter drill, yeah. I felt so nervous. And so part of EMDR is... And this is training. Yes, this is There's no active shooter. Yes, so of course, all of my veterans... <laughs> but you guys didn't know that, but, you know, right, we right. gave you, we framed the scenario... Yes. Um, somewhat, and then said, you got to do X, Y, and Z, but you didn't know some external factors or anything else going on. So it made you nervous. Right. 
So part of EMDR is bilateral stimulation. Um, okay. It's getting the left side of the body and the right side of the body to um, work together to help the brain process things. That's why walking or running or drumming can yeah. be really therapeutic because you're getting the left side and the right side going. That's so, crazy. So you're saying just by walking, yes, uh, by stimulating the left and right side, that that can be therapeutic. Yes. In a sense of what, like therapy for just anything you're just, trying to work through? Or? Yes, kind of like if the if trauma is like a splinter in the brain, kind of helping it to push itself out. Wow. So okay. sometimes you might notice if you're telling a story, I know I do this a lot, I'll look off to the side and then my eyes will start going back and forth as I'm recalling information. Mm. That's bilateral stimulation. Interesting. That, that eye movement back and forth. Right. And so I was in the last group. So of course I have all this time to think <laughs> everyone else has done this. They've all been fantastic and I don't know what I'm doing. So of course that goes back to my negative cognition of like, I'm going to, I'm going to fail. Like I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing. And as I was then going through the setting, um, we have fight, flight, freeze, or flag. Mm -hmm. Flag is a lesser known one. It's just like, you know, you might fight for a little, but then you kind of wave your little white flag. So and wait, say that again. So is this from a, this is like from a, a school standpoint, what you were taught, right? Yes. So, so just say that again real quick. So we tend to know fight and um, flight. flight. Yeah. Those, Those are, are two that, you know, make a lot of sense to me just based off of personal experience. Right. And so then sometimes we, we freeze, we get into a situation and we have no idea what to do. Right. That tends to be my default. Okay. Uh, and then we have... <laughs> well, that's flag. good. You're yeah, self-aware. Like, oh, no, so, yeah. yeah. So we have um, flag, which is where we might fight for a little or when we, we might try to run or do something. Mm -hmm. And then we just give up. We, we start waving our little white flag in surrender and we don't know what to do anymore. Wow. Okay. And so for me being in that situation, I was going through the motions and I felt very calm, but at the same time, my brain was going a million miles a minute. Um, and I'm thinking about all these different things that we have to do and getting the tourniquet on and who's going to, like, how are we going to carry this guy? And right. That whole thing. But I remember at the end when you were debriefing my group, you had said, like, we were moving so slow. And I remember thinking to myself, yes, like, I was moving very <laughs> slow. I try to, like, I just try to stay calm and, and uh centered in the moment but that's not always going to be healthy when you know yeah seconds count right time is of the essence and the bad guy is closing in on your kind of position which is i think one of the the way i framed it yes. up for you guys about time was mm -hmm. like and you know we we talk about this a lot but it's getting off the x right yes. so you had the ability uh to treat the casualty and then you know based off of stuff that we taught you in the course carry the casualty right as a team um, and then find the exit and get out of the building. So, yeah, yeah. go ahead, sorry. You know, you're gonna, you're, so just think, thinking about that for me, going back through lessons learned, okay, what could I have done differently or in the event that there is a situation like this, um, you know, how, how might I prepare myself? Because a lot of times for me, if I can run through it mentally, mm -hmm. then I feel better prepared and in the moment, then I can go through with whatever the action is. That makes sense. Um, but sometimes it's those sort of situations, like if we you know, put that into like a, a, an actual situation um, where we are maybe experiencing or we're witnessing something, it's, we aren't actually um, maybe doing something. So if I, it'll be easier if I just kind of give an example here. So mm -hmm. in combat, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, we may, we may not be directly firing on a target. We just may be in that setting Okay. or we just get used to things 
in that particular environment that would not at all be okay or common or acceptable stateside. Right. You know, it's a totally different setting. Sure. And so we're okay with that there, but then we come home and we don't know quite how to mesh those two experiences together Hmm. and how to really reintegrate. Right. And so then that can lead to um, moral injury. Okay. And so a lot of times... I remember we talked about this prior. Yeah. Yeah. So moral injury. Yes. So a lot of times we will... um, think that it's PTSD because they, they can be very similar. Um, but moral injury is a little bit different in that it's something that violates our moral compass. Okay. And so a lot of times we'll have that sense of guilt or that shame and, and who we are. Um, it really impacts our identity. Okay. And so it's important for us to be aware of that too. Now, now the military... So how do you... Yeah. So post-traumatic stress disorder... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- let me just give you the definition of my understanding and then you can tell me I'm wrong because I probably <laughs> am, but, <laughs> um, but post-traumatic stress disorder to me is, you know, it's kind of in the, in the, the, the name of the word itself or whatever is, Hey, post something traumatic happening, um, you know, a stressful event or something like that. I have a somewhat of a disorder to be able to, uh, process that, not necessarily process the information, but it's something I don't want to say a glitch either because that's kind of a really uncompassionate term to use, mm-hmm. but it's something that affects me based off of a traumatic situation. And now, um, for example, you know, if I was blown up in an IED or somebody dropped a hand grenade over an overpass in Iraq, now when I'm home in the United States and I go underneath an overpass, that freaks me out. Right. You know what I mean? So somewhat likening it to that. Is that kind of a, a correct definition of post-traumatic or an example of something that would do that? Or Yes, yes. Give so, your answer because yeah, I feel like so it's going to be 10 it, times better. <laughs> well, there's actually, I've gone through this before. There's this, um, we use what's called the, the DSM-5 and that's our um, diagnostic manual. So okay. um, anytime we are billing insurance or you're getting an actual diagnosis, it's going to come from the DSM-5. Five, because that's the current version. Okay. Um, and so the, even between the, the four and the five, um, the definition for PTSD changed a little bit as our society changes and, and as um, just the way we classify things mm-hmm. changes. And so for PTSD, yeah, sometimes it's, it's those recurrent thoughts. It's that those weird, that weird sense of anxiety that we have that we can't quite, uh, explain why it's happening. Right. Um, we'll figure it out in the moment, but it's, you know, it's linked to a traumatic event. Okay. Um, but there's a, there's a whole list of criteria. I'd like everyone to Google it or <laughs> look, look it up. Um, but sometimes we don't quite fit the DSM five criteria, Okay. but we know that there's something there. Right. And so that could very possibly be a moral injury. Right. And then you were describing moral injury as something that, uh, maybe based, I mean, I can think of a million different factors here of, of how that is shaped and formed based off of, you know, your moral standard, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like you're more, like you described it, you know, the moral compass. And I mean, that could be, I mean, we, to, to the best of my understanding, that's generated when we're children and then how we're brought up and, you know, what would be considered normal to one person may not be considered normal to somebody else based off of all their pre, you know, exposure to things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this really excellent book. Um, what have we done? Um, the Moral Injury of America's Longest Wars. I think that's the full title. And it's by David Wood. He's a okay. journalist. And so the name of the book is what again? What, what have we done? 
the moral injury of America's longest wars. Okay. I think. I okay. may have totally butchered that. But it's written by David Wood. Yes. Okay. And so he's talking about his experiences being embedded with the military and then also just the stories of the, the men and women that he followed and served sure. alongside. And so sometimes it's something, um, I'll just, I'll use a kind of, I don't want to say a common example, but one I've heard before, um, where maybe there were dead children, mm-hmm. um, or just a body in general. Yeah. Here in America, like if there's a body, we're, we're calling someone to right. you know, take it to the morgue. We're, we're going to bury the person, um, but that doesn't necessarily happen downrange. Sure. And so we just kind of get used to it and desensitize because that's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. But then we come home, and then maybe we have a hard time identifying with our own children or with other children right or we just have that weird sense that yeah there were some things that happened that are not part of my normal everyday experience here in the united states of america and so we might go to the va or we might talk to a a counselor and we don't quite fit the bill for ptsd Mm -hmm. but we need to be aware that okay maybe it's not ptsd but it can still be that moral injury that thing that went against whatever code you were taught or that you um, kind of pulled together yourself. Yeah. And by being aware of that, we can start to work toward um, living with it and kind sure. of clearing that out then as well. So you described earlier about making um, kind of helping in the sense of with the memory and injecting like a positive uh, thing in there. I'm not. I know I'm not describing right. <laughs> exactly accurate, but but there was a negativity associated with it, which is why it makes the memory so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but injecting something positive in there. So for the moral injury part, because I think we were talking about PTSD when we were describing that, um, and kind of trying to rewire the brain to accept it in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? And then it's it's a memory, and it's not you know uh, as traumatic as it was before. Um, because again, you replace something, the, the negativity with the positivity. So with moral injury, is that something similar that you're addressing in that space? Or is it, you know, same type of treatment, same type of, you know, approach to fixing it? Yes, it can still be very similar. So um, with EMDR, right now it's it's used a lot for PTSD and that's what it's really known for. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's a protocol for moral injury and figuring mm-hmm. out, okay, like sometimes the negative cognition for moral injury is, you know, I'm a monster, I'm a bad person, things mm-hmm. like that. And then acknowledging that I, I did the best I could or what, again, whatever pops up into the person's head. Sure. We have a list of cognitions in case people can't think of things, but yeah. sometimes, you know, your brain, I mean, your brain knows how to fix itself. We just right. have to guide it sometimes. Um, and so just being able to work through those things and figure those things out will help the brain kind of get that memory unstuck mm-hmm. and then process it. It's not that you forget right. what happened by any means, but it goes from being this, this soul wound or this, um, this memory that's not just sticking, sticking with you, but really interfering with the way you perceive other people or yourself or the world. Yeah. Um, and then we're we're helping to clear out whatever that trauma is. Right. Um, there's a there's another book, and there's this just kind of this idea that the body keeps the score, and so whatever negative thing we're experiencing, the body's going to remember that, even if the the brain kind of like forgets it for a little. Why do you think that it. is? I mean, I'm, I don't want to put you on the spot, but why do you think that the body works that way? I think 
Me personally, I think it's because a lot of times those negative experiences, um, we are cataloging those as survival, kind of what we talked about earlier. Okay. And so it's... So it's a learning experience. Yes. And so your body or your brain and every you know everything keeps it so you don't maybe make the same mistake twice or something to that right. effect. Right. And then we talked earlier about kind of like it becoming a liability or us becoming a liability because of that. Though. Right. Um, because sometimes that, I mean, that is important. We need to learn lessons from every experience, whether it's positive or negative. Right. But if but, you hold on to it, it's detrimental to everything else you want to do. Exactly. Because yeah. we will never again be in that exact same situation. We will never be the same person we were in that moment. Mm. And so because all of that's changing, yeah. then if we approach a situation that we think of as the same, the same way, um, we're probably going to get a different result than what we want because right. it's just not the same. But we tell ourselves that because we're human beings and we like to have control and right. understand what's going on. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, it, this is like, this is probably one of the most interesting podcasts uh, that I've recorded. One, because Mike's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Had to, sorry. Um, no, but, but, you know, having someone with your expertise on the podcast and kind of talking through a lot of this is like making me think about a lot of things that I've dealt with or worked through and that can, I continue to work through because, you know, this is the first time I've heard about moral injury. I don't, you know, whether, I, whether I don't feel like I have moral injury, I have certain things that I was exposed to. Mm -hmm. I think I've talked to you before, um, about like today, um, and then hearing that story and then, you know, describing what that, what that's like for me, yeah. um, and how descriptive and how I can remember everything, even though it happened 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can recall other stories like that as well. You know, I, maybe I'm blessed in the sense of, I feel like everything that, you know, we were doing was morally justified because chasing after bad guys and smashing them, you right. know, and, um, and, and I felt like that was the right thing to do. So my moral compass, if you will, about my experience in the military is pointing true North. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so yeah. So in that case, when we talk about trauma, um, for, for you, those things might not be traumatic events because right. you're like, no, like everything was cool. It was great. And, and that's the way, like everything went as it should go and I'm, I'm good. Right. And then again, then we're going to have some people who right. they don't have the coping skills or they had no idea what was going on. And that same event is going to like just scar them for life right. and they don't know how to handle it. Right. I think, uh, you know, one of the great takeaways about this conversation is, and, and we talked about it again a little bit in uh, the, the survival psychology is your genetic makeup and what you were predisposed to prior. Those are all effects on the product that you get in the end. Um, and I think, you know, I just want to reiterate, you know, like I think Tom Spooner would say uh, that you don't go do those jobs without having some type of effect, which, you know, whether it's moral injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever you want to call it, but the idea that somehow somebody comes home and they're the same person, well, that's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the important takeaway here is what you're describing is, you know, there are ways uh, to work through all of those. And it doesn't have to be the end of the road because you were, uh, you know, you were exposed to something that was extremely traumatic. I'm not taking that experience away from anybody. Mm -hmm. God forbid I would ever do something like that because I would be the most insensitive person on the planet and I'm not trying to come across like that. But I think what I really uh, am focused on and what I like is the healing process because it's important to do that to give both veterans, first responders and civilians that are, have experienced trauma, you know, a positive way out. 
and we talk about it all the time. And so that is what's, you know, for me, like listening to you talk about it from your expertise and your point of view is that there is a way out. You know, it's, um, I think there's probably some extent, extenuating circumstances there as far as are you willing, are you disciplined enough to do what you have to do to get out of that? Are you staying in the rut? You know, a lot of this is uh, it's self-ownership of, of where we're at. Yeah, you couldn't control the situation, right? I would never uh, imply that, especially for rape or something like that. However, uh, you know, we, we get to make a conscious decision after the fact. It doesn't mean we forget and, and um, devalue, right, what happened or anything like that, but, but there's a way forward after the fact and that we have to make a conscious decision to do that. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of times... Okay, so I firmly believe that every behavior has a reason. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we don't just go around doing things like for fun. There's, there's some kind of a reason for it. Right. Um, the thoughts that pop through our head or the things that we do. And so sometimes we've experienced something negative or um, you know, things, that, things have happened to us in life and we just take that on. Or we've, you know, we've accepted it for so long, it's just kind of become part of who we are. Right. And so sometimes that that's useful for us and so yeah i'm not i'm not here to rob anyone of that or say that any particular way of living is wrong oh, i'm definitely not here to pass judgment <laughs> on the way anyone chooses right, to live their life right. um but i think it's important for us to make that choice or to be aware that we have we can have a choice when right. we choose to make it sure that a lot of times we'll feel hopeless and we think oh, i'm just i'm stuck with this for life or I'm just broken um, or you know, get out of the military. We have that disability rating and that just becomes who we are. Right. Um, and yes, it's important to honor that. Like if you, you know, keep your rating or <laughs> you need to be aware, like you should probably do physical therapy or, you know, right. whatever else. Sure. It's maybe stay on the meds. Um, but at the same time, um, we can, we still have some control sure. over how we choose to live our life. Right. So, um, on that note, uh, I could probably sit here and talk to Elizabeth for, we're going on 49 minutes. I'm looking at the clock right now and it seems like we've been talking for five. Um, this is super interesting. I want to end it on that positive note because again, we're not taking anything away from the experience, but what we want people to be educated about is that, um, when, when you choose to, you have a choice. And so, you know, the path forward to being healthy um, you know, a lot of times I think lies in our own hands um, and our ability to make that conscious decision to move towards a positive end state. Um, so I appreciate you being with us. I actually want to have you on the podcast again because uh, everything we just talked about, I think I have a million questions about what we just talked about. Um, so again, this is Elizabeth Raines. Uh, her specialty is mental health counselor with a focus in trauma and attachment. Um, super interesting about PTSD and moral injury. Uh, have never heard the moral injury side of that, but I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, looking forward to hopefully having you on again and just kind of working through this because I feel like a lot of this stuff is just life in general. So it's not just specifically focused to the veteran, to the first responder. Um, it kind of, it, it kind of, uh, is permeating in all those arenas, civilian, you know, soldier, veteran, uh, first responders. So cool, uh, very cool stuff. Appreciate you coming on and being willing to do this. We had tried to set this podcast up several times while Mike and I were visiting Texas. And so I made the command decision today and I said, we're doing this after the seminar. And it actually uh, brought up some great points about everything we talked about. So I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you coming to the seminar. Thank you. 
Um, and thanks for being the spouse of a veteran and taking care of your husband and doing all those cool things. So appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you so much. I just enjoy sharing what I know. So if I can help someone out there in some way, then I'm good to go. Awesome. So real quick with the recap, the, the, the therapy is called EMDR, mm -hmm. right? And it stands for what again? Eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Okay. So yeah. So if somebody's having a difficult time, it could be something that you would recommend um, to, you know, talk to a therapist or somebody that's qualified to do that. Uh, with somebody and the short EMDR uh, is what it's referred to. Google it, check it out, get some background on it. Um, if you're having a tough time, it could be the key to you moving forward. So that's uh, cool. I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, as far as Fieldcraft uh, Survival is concerned, everybody, uh, hey, we're still doing podcasts. Uh, we appreciate you guys following us. Uh, we are at Fieldcraft Survival um, on Instagram. And then mine is at Kurt underscore team Fieldcraft. I feel like I jack this up every time we talk about it. Um, obviously we're on iTunes under government and organizations. Tell people about the podcast. Our intent, uh, is to provide not only, uh, entertainment. I think a lot of times when Mike and I joke back and forth, but then we get great guests on like Elizabeth, um, who have fantastic backgrounds in helping people and uh, are super experienced and are experts in their field. So hope you got something out of this, guys. I know you did. Uh, if you're a veteran first responder or somebody going through something uh, or have had a traumatic experience, so hopefully this is a positive way forward for you. Again, thank you for everything you guys do. Hey, the Fieldcraft Survival Expo is coming up 6th through 8th April. Uh, if you're interested in that, go to the website, www.fieldcraftsrevival.com or go to the expo website, www.fieldcraftsrevival.expo.com uh, to check that out and get all the details. We hope to see you there again at 6 to 8 April. Thanks, guys. Uh, I think that's a wrap. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. All right. And last but not least, uh, because I am the host and I don't have my, well, you're kind of like my co-host, so I'm going to say stay alert. You stay, say stay alive. Okay. All right. So, hey guys, we're wrapping it. Appreciate uh, everything. Stay alert. Stay alive.